listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. But on Wednesday, October the 14th, suddenly everyone became familiar with this little girl. See, Jessica, her aunt, Jamie Moore, ran a daycare center out of her home. And her mother was there, sissy, watching her and four other children. And she, the phone rings, and so she goes inside and takes that phone call. She comes back in just a few moments, and she hears the children screaming as she rushes back out in the yard to figure out what is going on. And she looks around, and her 18-month-old baby is gone. She begins looking frantically for her, and she discovers that baby Jessica had fallen into an 18-inch diameter well and was now trapped 22 feet below the earth's surface. I mean, the nation was glued to their TVs as this 18-month-old baby was trapped below the earth. Rescuers, they devised this plan, and you watched it all unfold. They were going to drill an adjacent hole next to the well she had fallen into. They began uh, pumping oxygen uh, into the well to, to make sure and trying to keep her alive. And they began communicating with this young 18-month-old baby. In fact, they said she moaned and wailed and often even sang nursery rhymes to pass the time. When rescuer said after a while, listening to her for so long that he could even tell her moods. A detective they interviewed said he could recall at some point At one point, she would be singing. At another point, when the jackhammer started up, she would not say a word and just used a kind of huffy little sound. You could tell that was her angry voice. He said, I would say 80% of the time, she was either crying or making some kind of noise we could hear. When we weren't calling out words of encouragement, we'd tell her to sing with us. He said, I'll never forget her singing Winnie the Pooh. But for 58 hours, this 18-month-old was trapped 22 feet below the earth. But I remember watching this. Finally, on the evening, October the 16th, 1987, 58 hours later, I'll never forget seeing that picture of that rescuer lifting baby Jessica out of that well. You know, I've thought about those images over the past week reading and studying through Galatians, because here's what is so remarkable about that scene. There is absolutely nothing that baby Jessica could do to save herself. She didn't have the strength, the knowledge, or the power to save herself. It was all up to her rescuers. And those rescuers put everything that they had all of their experience and their training, their mental capacity, their ingenuity, their creativeness, and they put all of their strength into saving her. And in some way, that is a picture behind Galatians. Galatians is kind of like a warning siren that is shouting, you cannot save yourself. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. And that is what Galatians brings us. 
So you're there in chapter 1. I want to give us a little bit of background as we begin into the first chapter of this book. So Paul, on his very first missionary journey to the Gentiles, Paul uh, took his mission in his life now of taking the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to outside those of the Jewish faith. So one of Paul's missionary journeys, in fact, in Acts 13 and 14, you can read that he goes through the, the area of Galatia. Many come to faith in Christ Jesus, and God is using Paul to establish these churches. Paul then goes back to Antioch, just north of Jerusalem, and he receives word that when he left, some false teachers moved into the church, and they are beginning to teach false doctrines, a false gospel. Because wherever, it doesn't matter, wherever God is moving in a powerful way in his church, the adversary is always going to work to interject doubt and discord and division. And that's what Paul is experiencing. So what is this false teaching and why is it being taught? Well, the problem was that the first Christians were Jewish. And it was the beginning when Christianity was beginning to spread. The Jews assumed that all their ceremonial observances, that they would continue. When the Gentiles began receiving the gospel, the assumptions of keeping the law and all the ceremonial activities, that was then challenged because the sacrifices didn't just go away overnight. So there was this period of adjustment that was happening and there was a struggle to understand God's purpose for the Jew and now the Gentile. In fact, you could read about it in Acts 15 called the Jerusalem Council. They bring these questions before the religious leaders and say, we have to figure this out. But now Paul is in the midst of this before the Jerusalem Council ever takes place. So there was a concern and a, con a correction that needed to be happening in the way they were thinking. These devout Jews were having a very difficult time. Because for their entire lives, and I understand it, for their entire lives they were taught that their unique relationship with God was maintained through keeping the law and all the ceremonial activities, including circumcision. But see, we all, we all grow up with these things. We all grow up with things that were taught that, oh, this is what you're supposed to do to be a good Christian. And the Jews were struggling with this as well. When Jesus came and he fulfilled all the requirements of the law, therefore all the ceremonial activities were no longer needed, and the top of that list was circumcision. But what is interesting is that Paul is preaching about this truth and about Jesus Christ, and he is proclaiming the gospel in Galatia in Acts 13. And the Jews loved what they heard. In fact, it says they encourage Paul and Barnabas to continue and ask them to come back to the next Sabbath. And it says the entire town turned out. But then it happened. The Jewish leaders quickly turned on them. Because they didn't mind at all a Gentile hearing the gospel and coming to faith in Christ. In fact, it says they welcomed it. But they expected them to come in the same way as they did as Jews. They expected Gentiles to become Jews. And in their eyes, a Gentile had no right to be reconciled to God. A Gentile was too filthy of a person 
to be declared righteous. So they had to first become Jews. And then, and only then could they be accepted. I mean, these Gentiles, they were going to have to go clean out their cupboards. They were going to need to change their diets. Start bathing more regularly. And men were even going to need a surgical procedure just to become a part of what they were calling now this new life in Christ. So that's the backdrop of Galatians. So let's pick up in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul begins by saying, Paul, an apostle. So Paul declares himself as the author of this letter and an apostle. Now, Paul was not someone that met Jesus before his resurrection. He met the resurrected Jesus that he was persecuting on the road to Damascus. So he was not one of the original apostles, but he is claiming apostleship. He is claiming authority. But I imagine that the false teachers were also claiming this. So notice Paul's argument. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul says his authority and the message were not through or from man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now why would he go to all of this trouble of setting this up? It's because the false teachers, they know something. If you want to discredit the message, if you can discredit the man, then you have succeeded. They knew if they could discredit him, the the message would then fall. It's so interesting that Paul in Greek means small or little. I knew I liked him. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, chapters 10 and 11, we know that opponents of Paul in Corinth made fun of Paul, even his physical appearance. They claimed that while his letters, it says, were weighty and bold, that he was not much to look at in a person. That he was, uh, they said that his bodily presence was weak. So if you've ever been made fun of, of your appearance, then you have something in common with Paul here. In fact, I was reading in some early writings, and they described Paul as a man of little stature, bald-headed, crooked legs, eyebrows that grew together, and a hooked nose. So the Judaizers, man, they knew, man, Paul, you're making this too easy for us. But they were so desperate. They, They were so desperate to discredit the gospel message, they even went after Paul's looks. Paul probably did lack the presence of a great and powerful person. I believe he did. Before meeting Jesus, I believe Paul found great pride and even a respect that he'd never had in his life. And he was finally had people fearing him for his zeal for Judaism. And I think that fed into Paul. He probably found an identity and even thought that he'd finally got the respect of others by being the best Jew. But that is not where he finds his identity now. Paul is saying that he would, when he was coming, that he came not in or through the power of any man, any leader, any king. But he came through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And then he says in verse 2, to all, from all the brothers who are with me. Paul wants us to know there are others behind him to the churches of Galatia. 
So now let's look at his greeting. It begins in verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins with simply grace to you, church. Grace is that unmerited favor that is freely given. And from the beginning, even in his greeting, he is reminding the Galatia Christians that the source of their salvation is always grace. In fact, Galatians begins and ends with it. It is God's free favor without regard to any human merit or work that reconciles a person to God. And Paul is writing to these Christians in Galatia, and here's what is happening. They were abandoning grace. Because you see, everyone, everyone born comes into this world with a nature that insists that we can make it on our own way to God. We may never verbalize it that way, but that's really, we think that we can do this. And even after we're saved, even after we are saved by grace, there seems to be these traces of a performance mentality that we all struggle with. We begin thinking that we can save ourselves. But if we are fortunate enough to move past that lie, we then tend to think that, well, at least now I can earn God's favor or blessing by what I do. But notice Paul's words, grace to you. Grace is not something we do or earn it. It is freely given, and he begins by grace to you. But then he goes a step further. He says, and peace from God. Now, peace is this state of wholeness and freedom that grace brings us. The result of salvation is peace, or we might say reconciliation with God. That is the result of salvation. In fact, Paul says the same thing in Romans 5, where he says, Therefore, since we have been justified or made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's Paul's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God. But there's something missing that's almost always in one of Paul's letters. There is a a form or some words of thanksgiving. We never see that In Galatians, of almost every other letter, he'll start with some kind of greeting of grace and peace. And then he will go on about a thanksgiving for the people. In fact, you could even read through Corinthians. And you want to talk about people whose lives were a mess. Look no further than Corinthians. Complete debauchery going on. All kinds of immorality and sexual sins were sweeping and made alive in this city. But even in that letter, Paul pauses and he gives a word of thanksgiving. But why does he not do that in in Galatians? Because even in Corinthians, whose lives of these people were complete train wrecks. But why not here? And here's why I think he leaves out a word of thanksgiving. You see, the Corinthians walk with Christ. It was a mess. 
But the Galatians' understanding of Christ was at stake. And Paul does not have time for words of thanksgiving. He is in full battle mode because of what is at stake. In fact, next week we'll see in verse 6, he says, Listen, I'm astonished at you that you are deserting the gospel. In verse 8, he'll even get so passionate about it, he is even willing to damn an angel to hell for preaching a false gospel. So the Corinthians walk with Christ. It was a mess. But the Galatians' understanding of Christ was in danger. So this is what I think is getting at, that your understanding of Christ is far more important than your behavior. It is not to say that our actions don't matter and they are not important. Or that grace even gives us a license or permission to do whatever we want. But Paul is showing us that our understanding of Christ far outweighs your behavior. Because listen, you can have a lot of good things. You do a lot of things that look good as outward acts. But if your understanding of Christ is wrong, nothing you do matters. The startling truth of Christianity, and this is what sets us apart. The startling truth of Christianity is that God's pleasure is not based on your performance. The gospel, it never tells us what we have to do to please God. Instead, it announces something. It announces that God is pleased with us based solely on Christ's accomplishments in His life, His death, and His resurrection, and then our identification with Him. God is pleased with you, not based on your performance, but based on the work of Christ for you. So notice verse 4. He sets it up, grace and peace to you from our Lord and Father, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So I want us to notice a a couple of things. It says that he gave himself, meaning Christ freely and willingly gave himself for us. Hebrews chapter 12, it reminds us that looking to Jesus, the profounder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand on the throne of God. He gave himself freely and willingly. He laid down his life. Why did he have to do this? It says he gave himself for our sins. Meaning our sins result in something so serious that it takes the life, death, and resurrection of the perfect Son of God to take care of it. And nothing less than that can ever come close. So he gave himself for our sins to deliver us. Meaning that Christianity is a rescuing religion. And notice what it's delivering us from. From the present evil age. Now this phrase may not be what we would expect reading through this. That Jesus came 
to save us. And we often think about the truth that he came to save us to give us eternal life. But here Paul says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So what is Paul saying? Well, he's drawing upon the idea that the Bible constantly teaches of two ages. There's this age, and then there's the age to come. We often read and we talk about everlasting life, but literally that phrase means life of the age to come. And the Bible tells us that that age to come, and here's what's so strange, that age to come, in some ways, it's already here. In fact, Christ inaugurated. He brought it in. That age to come, listen, we can't fully recognize it and experience it, but in some ways, it's already here. You could go to places like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Ephesians 1 uh, verses 3 talks about that we now have every spiritual blessing. Romans 8, 3. 2 Corinthians uh, 3 verse 18 says those who believe have already passed from death into life. 1 John 3, 2 talks about the gospel. We're already God's children. So this age we are in and the age to come, in some ways they are running parallel with each other. They overlap. So Christian conversion, coming to faith in Christ, means being rescued from the old age and being transformed into the new age, the age to come. And as Drew even prayed, our Christian life is living in this age now, but living as if we're in the age to come. In fact, Philippians 3 tells us, our citizenship, who you belong to, is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of Christ's death was not only to bring you forgiveness, but that having been forgiven, we would live a new life, the life of the age to come. That that would be our reality. And all of this is because of that last phrase in verse 4. According to the will of our God and Father. Meaning that both of our, our rescue from this present evil age and the means by which it has been accomplished are according to the will of God. We do not, we could not, and we would never rescue ourselves. You know, we come into this world and we want to stay in the well. But we see this, that in the cross, you get the will of the Father and the will of the Son working in perfect harmony. And then Paul's conclusion, look at the conclusion to his greeting. To whom be the glory forever. And ever, amen. So God alone, God alone receives the credit for Paul's apostleship. God alone receives the credit for Jesus giving himself. God alone gets the glory for Jesus coming to rescue us from this present evil age. And so here's what I want us to take away from this morning is we just kind of begin to set the stage for this walk through Galatians. 
every generation, every generation, even this generation, and every generation to come, even to the age that will come fully as we've talked about, is faced with the challenge of maintaining the centrality of the gospel. Every generation has faced this. Paul is facing it with the challenge of what we could call Judaism legalism. And it's saying that in order to be fully, fully recognized and fully reconciled and fully justified and made right with God, you had to follow the Jewish laws and ceremonies, especially circumcision. But we kind of have our own battles of legalism nowadays. In fact, this entire letter, that is what this is about so I want to give us a working definition of legalism because here's what I believe about us. Everybody has their own definition of legalism. And we pick one that benefits us. But here's how I want us to think about legalism. Legalism in three things. Working in our own power. Working according to our own rules. And working to earn God's favor. And over the next several weeks, we're going to begin looking and we're going to begin unpacking some of this as we walk through this book. But the gospel, the gospel is the only thing that can destroy legalism because it is both free and freeing. But every human being, every one of us struggles to grasp the truth of God's grace. And we'll be seeing this in the Christians of Galatia. But I think we, can, we don't have to look past our own noses. Because maybe you and maybe me, you, you are struggling to fully grasp God's grace. If you live with a vague sense of God's disapproval. You could be struggling to fully grasp God's grace. If you feel sheepish about bringing your needs before Him when you have just failed Him. Or you might think he's annoyed with you. You could be struggling to fully grasp God's grace. If you think that his grace is something that makes up the difference between the best you can do and what he expects from you. You could be struggling to grasp God's grace if you feel you deserve an answer to a prayer because you're of your hard work and your sacrifice. You could be struggling to understand God's grace if you feel more confident before God if you've been faithful with your quiet times and your prayer and even your witnessing. You could be struggling to fully grasp God's grace if you can't honestly say that you see yourself blameless in His eyes. You could be struggling to understand God's grace if you fear that your day may not go as well as you planned because you missed your quiet time. You could be struggling to fully grasp God's grace if you assume that you can do something to make Him love you more or that you could do something to make Him love you less. And if any of these resonate with you, you haven't fully grasped the truth and the depth of the gospel. You've misunderstood it. In misunderstanding the gospel, it leads to misery, confusion, and even spiritual ruin. And that, that is why Paul is in battle mode. 
So church, hear me this morning. That the gospel is the good news for sinners like you and me. The gospel says that the only thing that makes a sinner right with a holy God is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing more and nothing less. The gospel says that sinners are reconciled to God, not based upon anything that we do, but simply trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But remember that you and I are a lot like baby Jessica. There is absolutely nothing that baby Jessica could do to save herself. She didn't have the strength, nor the knowledge, nor the power to save herself. It was up to those rescuers that put all of their experience and their training and their ingenuity and their creativity and all of their strength into rescuing her. But think about your salvation. It's only possible through an even better rescuer. Jesus Christ who put all that he had behind rescuing us. So church... You cannot save yourself. There is nothing you can do to save yourself from the well of sin and death. You cannot save yourself. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you for the apostles that followed and walked with you, that listened to you that wrote and recorded these truths for us. Thank you for leading them and empowering them by your Spirit. And Lord, this morning I would simply ask that we would walk away with a greater hunger of understanding and and realizing what your grace really is. That we are so caught up into a performance-based life. Lord, we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. It is only trusting in the finished work of your Son. And so may we fully begin to fully grasp more of what your grace truly is. And so Lord, it is in His name and by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.